on Wednesday, February the 27th, I interviewed Second Amendment activist Jose Saldana of Tawnytown, Maryland for a Minor Detail podcast. Saldana joined hundreds of other gun rights activists last week in Annapolis to testify before the House Judiciary Committee and the Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee in opposition to some of the proposed gun legislation. Yeah, it's uh, Jose Saldana, and according to the official reports we received from uh, the Maryland State Police regarding the legislative sign-up, there was over 1,500 people that signed up to testify on Monday. Jose, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Um, I'm an American of Mexican descent. Um, I've been a gun owner for eight years now. Um, I've worked in the gun industry in firearm sales, uh, gunsmithing, general repair, and accessorizing. Um, for also years, and I'm just a freedom-loving American, um, and just all around, you know, I try to be a good person. I'm from Carroll County, Tawnytown. I am unaffi- unaffiliated with any. Uh, uh, two-way advocacy group because I prefer to testify as my own person. Did you testify on Monday before the House Judiciary Committee? Yes, I did. Okay. And so there's a famous picture that is rotating around the internet, and it is you giving the bird, so to speak, the proverbial middle finger. It was actually literally the middle finger to the committee. Can you talk about that? Back? Okay, so... A lot of people have been going online and, and saying that, you know, it's understandable because we've been there for 12 hours. Um, my response was solely to that bill, and my response would have been the same at the beginning of the hearing at 9.30 a.m. Is in uh, cursing, um, telling them that we will not, I will not comply with this bill, and I will work to undermine it. Um, um, the bill in question is HB 0612, which is the legislation that would ban the further sale of H-bars, and as it is written because the amendment has not been submitted, would uh, force citizens that already own them to have them confiscated by police, sold out of state, and no longer allowed to legally possess them. Okay. So what time, at what point did you get to testify on my um, I testified several times over the course of the day. On 6-12, the testimony that I did was around 3, uh, 315, I think, approximately. 315. And so is that when the, the now famous picture of you giving the middle finger, were you giving the middle finger to any specific member of the committee or just in general to the bills themselves? Well, I would have loved to have given it to the sponsor of the bill, Delegate Ivy, but he had chosen to leave the room after he knew that the that the outcry and the backlash was going to be so great that he could no no longer support it officially by himself. So obviously that gesture is provocative, controversial, and it caused some members of the committee to react negatively. Do you think by giving the middle finger the committee, do you think that was a good method to use to, to get your message across because I know I read some tweets from some delegates to say, hey, listen, we're, we're 
solution but if you were going to flip us the bird then why should we be courteous to you? Um, I don't think that's a position that the delegates should take. I think that the delegates should take the position that we are here to serve the, our constituents of Maryland and to respect the Constitution. If they choose to put forth and support these bills that go against that, then I believe they should be removed from office or uh, decide to step down from office. And any feelings they may have on the matter are not my concern. What is the reception that you've received since coming to testify on Monday? Have you met personally one-on-one with Democrats and Republicans on the House and Senate side about your position I have not had that opportunity to do so, and I believe that due to their short-sightedness and choose, uh, choosing of accepting emotions over facts and their duties, uh, I don't think that would go very well. No, I think. Do you want to have that conversation? Do you want to have a conversation to say, we are here because we are advocates and we are constitutionalists who believe in the Second Amendment and we oppose your bills, but let's have a honest to God, one on one intellectual conversation? Is that possible between yourself, members of the group, and, and committee members? I have offered my services for the past six years uh, to consult to consult with uh, delegates, senators, and any others that wish to construct bills regarding firearms legislation. Um, there's another bill that simply isn't implementable under current federal law that, you know, we've tried to talk to the delegate that introduces it, and she refuses to meet with us. Uh, that would be Delegate Dumai, the, firm, uh, the former vice chair of the House, uh, of the House Committee. Kathleen Dumai. Yeah. Yeah, okay. From District 15. So, after you testified, after your, there was hundreds of people who came out. On Monday. And now we're sitting here before the Senate, and I believe at 10, uh, 12 o'clock is when we're going to kick off and we're going to start with your testimony. What do you anticipate is going to happen today? Are you going to get a similar, do you feel like you're going to get a similar reaction from the Senate members, or are you more confident that they would be able to be more receptive to your message? Um, I'm going to start the day off as I always do, you know, um, giving calm, measured uh, responses to these bills and these questions. Um, like I said, my my outburst was directly related to HB 0612 um, and its unconstitutionality and how far-reaching re- far and overreaching it was. I don't see any bills that affect me as personally, so I don't think that my response will be as great. Although if my fans want to, I could probably put on a show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think today, um, from what I've witnessed from everyone here, is that people are very passionate about this issue, the gun legislation. And I think... This is one of the, this, this issue will become one of the defining issues of this legislative session. Where do you where do you see this moving to? Do you think the, do you give faith that the governor is listening? I wish I could say yes. That's about all I'll say on that matter. Yeah. So to me that sounds like that you don't have confidence in the governor. Actions speak louder than words, and the governor has not committed any actions towards protecting our constitutional rights, which is his sworn duty. Okay. Um, on Monday, there were, and I see today, actually, there are several people wearing we will not be What does that slogan mean? Um, I forget exactly which um, paragraph or section of the uh, law it is, but it's in 18 U.S.C. federal laws. And it says that, you know, 
any laws that's unconstitutional, you don't have to obey. Um, my personal feelings on the matter are best summed up by a quote I, I heard that I forget where I heard it, and I wish I could, you know, provide credit to the person. But it said that America was founded by gun-running, tax-evading, uh, beer-brewing conservatives. It'll be saved by the same people. Um, I've always had in conversations a logical <laughs> argument that I call the rubber duck argument or the rubber chicken argument, you know, something innocuous. What that means is that you should be able to take a law and have it all the words that are referencing firearms and replace it with the word rubber chicken and have it make sense. If it doesn't pass that test, it doesn't really pass constitutional muster. If we were to have a law um, rescinding the 18th Amendment, which provided freedom of the slaves, and reinstituted slavery in Maryland, which is there, there is a history of slavery in the states, and there's also a history of uh, racial segregation and, uh, and uh, what's it called, suppression by the Democrats, even today, then if that law were to pass into law, would we have the same responsibility morally and ethically to follow that law? So, on Monday as well, there's a gentleman who was standing right down the street. Probably now it's seen. A gentleman who was on a bus, shirt and signs, and signs on a street corner right down by one of the, I think it was the, one of the Senate side, and uh, holding it to traffic. And the Secretary of the Maryland Democratic Party, Robbie Leonard, made a comment on his Facebook page to quote unquote dox these children terrorists. Have you seen that photograph? I have seen that photograph, and that was. What is your reaction? Um, my reaction to that is quite simple. If you provide no courtesy to those exercising their their rights. You know, we have the, the Marylanders prevent gun violence here, and we've never said a crossword to them. You know, I respect their ability to to speak on the issues. You know, I don't respect their position, but I respect, you know, the, the quote from one of the founding fathers. I don't agree with what you just say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. Um, if you can't provide that basic protection for all amendments equally, then you need to, as I said before, either be removed from office or voluntarily step down. So what do you think should... Uh, Robbie Leonard has now removed that post um, from his personal Facebook page. The Maryland Democratic Party responded and they critical we will not supply shirts. What do you think should happen in this Honestly, um, whatever provisions there are for a person in their official capacity as a member of the Democratic Party acting to suppress the rights of the of everybody because when you say that about a person saying we will not comply then by extension you're willing to do that about people that are for abortion rights you're willing to say that about people that are for illegal immigration you're willing to say that about every person in every scenario this is America we have a constitution to protect the United States citizens from their government, 
And when the government cannot keep that promise, then we're left with very little recourse. So, given that, that it's his perspective, he has not apologized. And he used a phrase, are you familiar with the term doxing? Yes. Okay. So basically that means to disseminate private information, to contact uh, work, office, and, and provide personal information for it in, 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 a, in an adverse way, right? So right. Do you, do you think that somebody who is exercising their First Amendment right, standing up for the Second Amendment on the street corner, should be described as one, a homegrown terrorist, and should their information be distributed because of their their position on a, on a, on a hot-button political issue? Absolutely not. And using the words homegrown terrorist um, conflates us with people, you know, like the Oklahoma City bomber, the Boston Marathon bombers. And it's a terrible comparison, both, uh, both in public image and... We haven't done any of those things ever. You know, we're, we stand up here, we, we speak politely, you know, we, we submit our written testimony. And to say that just because we don't agree with you that we're, we're equal and tantamount to these killers and these murderers, that's, that's a very, very steep slope that, you know, the Democrat, the, the uh, what was his name again? Robbie Lender. Ah, that Robbie Lender is starting to ski down, and I do not appreciate it one bit, and I don't think an apology would suffice. I would think that uh, the loss of his position would be a starting step. Um, and as far as a, a compassionate apology, you know, I'm 26 years old. I've been apologized to thousands of times by thousands of people. You know, I forgive, but I never forget. And having him to be able to rise to any position again would be a serious breach of the public trust. I grew up in Western Maryland, and my grandfather was a hunter. My dad's a hunter, my stepfather is, my father is. And what I hear from advocates um, like yourself is that they, they, they do not believe in further, quote unquote, undue on your right to have a firearm and to. They want to be able to carry and protect themselves. And my personal um, observation is that this testimony has been peaceful, it's been polite. Everybody on both sides has been um, equally respected, even though they be able to disagree with one another. Have you noticed any of your members getting out of hand or being impolite or disrespectful to the other side? Um. Every time that it's not in the committee room, in one of the overflow rooms, there's naturally a bit of reaction to whatever your side says that you agree with. And you can see it from both the pro-freedom side and the anti-freedom side. Um, however, most of us are... Yeah, that's, that's the heart of the issue. Um, and, you know, when we had the sheriffs announce in the overflow room that they will not comply with the enforcement of these laws there was cheering you know there was clapping yeah you know it, it's a video evidence you know you can't deny it at this point 
Um, and there was the same reaction when, you know, the Moms Demand Action and the, uh, the various Bloomberg-funded groups would go up there and take their points, you know. And only one side's complaining. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can see it on both sides, um, but only on our side is their reaction to it, you know. Yeah, I'm an American of Mexican descent. Right. And are you, were you, so you were born in America? Right? Yes, I'm a proud American citizen. I was born in uh, Baltimore City. What's your reaction to, to that, that type of, I guess, overshadowing the, the conversation, these labels? Both sides I see using, but I, I've seen that more people as well. These white Americans are responsible for, the white American male are responsible for the majority of gun violence in this country. Um, I would think that naturally, statistically speaking, that whites would have more of a of more of a uh, statistical reflection in violence. There are simply more white people in this country. You know, they're the majority. Of course, they're going to have the majority of violence. Um, but to characterize it as that as a racial issue is short-sighted. Um, as a Mexican, I'm more likely to be in a violent crime involved with another uh, Hispanic. It's simple. I hang out with a bunch of Hispanics, so it's more likely that I'm going to be attacked by one of them. Same as a black man being more likely to be uh, targeted by another black man. So, tell me about your expertise in this field. What is your, what is your career? Um, my career is uh, an automotive mechanic. Um, as such, that, that does affect how I view these things. You know, as a mechanic, you know, you, you go through and you look at evidence, you know, for issues, and you follow those evidences to their logical conclusion until you find a solution to that problem. Um, the same proceeds with how I view this legislation. Um, when you say that we need to have a license to transfer long guns, I look at the evidence and I say... There was seven people killed last year with long guns in the entire state of Maryland, ignoring the, the massive issue that is Baltimore City. But the entire state of Maryland, seven people were killed with long guns. Eleven people were killed by hands and feet. To me, again, going off that evidence-based conclusion, we should have legislation banning hands and feet before we have legislation banning long guns. So, you're testifying today. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I wing it. <laughs> um, I'll follow up afterwards, you know, with uh, written testimony and emails to the legislators reinforcing my position. But um, pick a bill. Yeah. Um, I'm testifying on all the firearms legislation, um, which one is for the forfeiture of firearms to licensed dealers. Um, there's the long gun qualification bill, um, and there is the ghost gun bill. Okay. The, the ghost gun. Tell me about that. What is, 
And what are ghost guns? Okay. Um, so to establish what ghost guns are, a ghost gun is any home-manufactured firearm that is not manufactured by a FFL 07, which is the manufacturing license, and it's also a special occupancy taxpayer. It's a cost of $3,500 a year, and it allows you to manufacture firearms for sale. Um, in America, we've had a proud tradition of manufacturing, not just firearms. You know, Detroit was the the manufacturing capital of the world for decades. Um, in World War II, we were the arsenal democracy. Um, in the Revolutionary War, we manufactured all of our firearms, the Kentucky Long Rifle, you know, the, uh, the American Musket, you know, it, all this proud tradition of manufacturing, and it's our heritage. And the bill is, is uh, overreaching because the person that takes the time out of their day to manufacture a firearm, to, to build their own gun, you know, that whether they do it for, you know, if it's a handgun for competition because, you know, some of the companies have, you know, things like flared magwells, you know, contoured trigger guards, you know, a more aggressive stippling for better recoil control. Or if it's, you know, a rifle where they simply don't want, you know, the police to know about it, which isn't a problem because I own over 40 firearms. And all those 40 firearms have gone through the FFL process because they're at, if a gun sale occurs at an FFL, it has to go through a background check. And usually... Um, the reason I own so many firearms is, one, I like them. You know, I like guns. Um, another is some of my friends and family can't afford their own firearms. So, you know, I'll go through, you know, whatever is in stock at the store, and I'll say, you know, this is a, this is a firearm that, you know, it, the barrel's a little rusty and the wood could use a little bit of cleaning. You know, I'll use my skills to, you know, buy the firearm at a lower price, fix it up. And now, here, little brother, here's, you know, a firearm to defend yourself and your family. Um, and I've probably passed out over 100 firearms, along with their uh, required background checks, to people, you know, of limited financial means, to people that I care about. And to people that are honestly just, you know, curious about owning a firearm and want one. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, so this is one of my favorite topics. It, today is 2019, the year's 2019. I would support and actively campaign for an absolute dissolving of the National Criminal Instant Background Check as it is currently used. I believe that it is 2019, technology has caught up with, you know, record keeping, etc., etc. I believe that there should not be a a database of gun owners. I believe there should be a database of people that are not allowed to own firearms. 
and that this database should be publicly available. You know, you get your login, you get your username. They get added to the database. Right. And because because I'm not a felon, I wouldn't be in there. And all I would have to do is look to check to see if this person with this date of birth is in the database. If they're not, here's your gun. No need for a background check. You know, this is America. You are innocent until proven guilty. And why would we have to have background checks on live-biting Americans? That's simply ripe for... As they are currently implemented, they are an okay proposition. But again, it's 2019, we can have a much better system that doesn't affect any law-abiding citizen and only provides a database of prohibited persons. Um, currently in Maryland, there's over 2,000 disqualifying crimes due to the length of the sentence. Um, I believe that should be revised. Um, people that have committed uh, crimes of violence, domestic uh, abusers, um, and, you know, a few other categories, you know, sexual assaulters, um, pedophiles, you know, they should all be included. But, you know, the person that takes $600 from the bank at work because, you know, they couldn't make their house payment that month, you know, they shouldn't necessarily be robbed of their right to defend themselves for such a simple, really, uh, no-victim crime. I think that, that that would be a new a new statute to, to, to pursue. Um, that depends. Anytime you talk about drugs, you have to clarify. So if you get a felony because you possess heroin, uh, and you get treatment and you know, you, you're no longer addicted, should you have a right to own firearms and defend yourself? Yes. Um, if you are convicted of heroin trafficking, no, absolutely not. It all depends on, you know, and this is one of those things where they talk about prosecutorial discretion. Um, that there are certain people that, you know, are involved in one aspect but not the other aspect, and because of the way the laws are written, it, it affects them unfairly. Actually, that's funny you bring that up. Um, the quote-unquote leader of Maryland, Maryland to Prevent Gun Violence, Jen um, P., I forget what her last name is, 
we have actually made several efforts, and there were efforts made Monday to, to speak, you know, just to see, you know, what's your feelings on the topic. And there would always be one of their minders, you know, the people that come here year after year, and they would actually say, we don't talk to those people. I hate calling people and having interviews. I hate how conversations are interpreted on social media because you can't get to know a person. You and I can sit here for hours on it and probably find hundreds of different things to talk about and get to know each other and probably really like each other. And I think that that is what's missing in American politics where people don't sit down with one another and have a conversation. They may understand your position, they may not agree with it, and they may actively campaign against it. But mm-hmm. they will have the opportunity to sit face to face and say, okay, here's our position, and this is why we do you think we need more of that? I, I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a huge schism in the, in the country between pro freedom and anti freedom folks. Um, People have stopped talking to one another. Yes, and and another big problem with as far as stopping talking to each other is they only talk with people they understand. You know, you hear hear the uh, conversations echoing across you know the internet, the TV. You know, it's an echo chamber. You know, you watch CNN, all you get is their side. You watch Fox News, all you get is their side. Um, sitting down and having a conversation with somebody you may not agree with it is hugely beneficial to both sides. Um, it can help us, you know move through through um, a lot of the issues um, every single year since 2013 we have seen laws that seek to restrict the rights of law-abiding americans yeah the uh, the false security act 2013 yes yes but every year we see new legislation aren't aimed towards firearms, you know, pardon the pun. I have yet to see a single bill, memo, or even a thought raised by these Bloomberg-funded groups towards mental health versus firearms. Yes. Every single mass shooter that we've come across has had some issue with mental health, either in the past or at the time of their of their decision. Um, back last year, during the My opinion is that that is short-sighted. I do not support arming teachers. I support allowing teachers that wish to arm themselves to be allowed to do it per law. Now, the distinction is I do not think that you should go to college, you attend your, your college courses for teaching, you know, you do your, your time as a teacher's aide, and then, okay, you've graduated, here's your gun. I think it should be, if you want to accept this responsibility, we're going to offer state or federal funding to support you, and you're going to be allowed to do so. But I do not support any 
mandated firearms ownership or training almost as much as I don't support any restrictions. Jose, I think we covered a lot today. Um, I'll, I'm, I'm going to be covering it here. Right now, we are in the lobby. Two uh, east, over here on the Senate side, um, on the state capitol grounds. So, in this room alone, over 50, maybe 75. I would say at least 60 people are here. Yeah. It is, um, but it's also important as an American to stand up for your rights. Um, whether you are a pro Second Amendment or anti Second Amendment, you know, it's important to get out there and have your voice heard. Well, I don't need to wish you good luck, but I can say um, I all the senators on a pretext of who you are, why you're here, and I'm talking about on the Republican and Democratic side. They should listen to your testimony, take it at face value, and understand that there are passionate sides, um, there are passionate issues uh, to be discussed, and there are, there are people here. Who, did you take off work today? Yeah. Took off work to come down to Annapolis, to our state's capital, to set before a legislative committee to talk to people about vision. That to me is democracy. That to me is a functioning republic, and I think we should all bipartisanly champion. Yeah, and and the only thing I could say is, you know, as you said, uh, you know, the quote is that I'm a pro at this, but. Unfortunately, unlike the other side, I'm not funded by Bloomberg. It does actually cost me money um, to come down here. It's not cheap to park down here, either. No, it's not. Not at all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the garage over here, I think, you can stay there for all day. I paid up for $15. So. Yeah. I agree on that. Jose, I really appreciate you coming on, talking to me, and um, I'll send you a copy of the podcast after we finish. Okay. So, uh, thank you, and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you.